This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. I come expecting. There's an expectancy in the air. There is a desire, a move of God, a hunger for you. God, you said that the hungry shall be filled and the thirsty would be satisfied. You said, and I don't know who I'm praying this over, but you said if a stump, it it feels like there's nothing left, if that stump, even at the hint of water, will burst forth into life, Lord, I pray that you will be that living water to all of us that life might burst forth in our souls. God, I ask you for this service. Lord, let your will be done. May your name be glorified. And may we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So today I want to talk to you about being altered at the altar. And as we're preparing for this time, I I guess I have to describe say that everybody has a different view of an altar. Everybody has a a different idea, a concept of what an altar really is. You know, I was in a church one time, a different denomination than than my background, and as I was in this church, I was doing a wedding in this this, this beautiful church, and and they had one of those this do in remembrance of me tables. Anybody remember those? This do in remembrance of me tables. And and they had it all set up, and and so I just kind of came in, and and what I wanted to do, I didn't see a lectern there, and so I just kind of came in and took my, my book and laid it on that this do in remembrance of me table. Their staff lost it. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is the altar of God. Can I tell you, I'm not being critical of them and telling you this story. Thanks be to God, they had respect. But I didn't know that was what their altar was. You see, I have a different view of an altar of God. It's been in an altar God's transformed my life. It's been in an altar I've connected to the presence of God. It was at an altar that I bowed my knee and Jesus saved my soul. It was at an altar that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was at an altar that my life has been changed. But you see, we all have different views of altars. I walked in uh, to several churches in Europe, and as I've come into those churches, I'll notice that they'll have a, a rope a, around the altar, and, and there's only certain times can, can the priest go beyond the rope and go up to minister before the Lord at that altar. And, and if that's how you worship at an altar, then God bless your soul for that, and God bless you, and, and you keep worshiping. Where I don't care how you worship. Come on, just figure out a way to worship the true God. Amen. But, but I have to tell you, I'm of a different cloth than that. I am of a different thought than that because I'm reminded of what happened before Calvary. There was a veil that kept me from the presence of God. But when Jesus died and cried out, it is finished, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And in other words, he said, come on into my presence. Come on, come on up, all of you who are weary, all who are thirsty, and I will give you rest and strength and I, I will refresh who you are. You can come to the altar. You can come to the presence of God. You can come into the, to the touch of God. There, there's nothing that can keep you out. And you go, but pastor, you don't know who I am, but you don't know how good he is because we boldly approach not the throne of judgment, but we boldly approach the throne of grace. Crying, daddy, God, 
I think part of our problem with the altar is we're afraid to go to the altar. I told you just a, a week or so ago, or some of you in one service, I, I shared, I, I have a friend that I've been sharing with about Christ, and, and I've been working on him for quite a while, and it's almost gotten a little humorous because he's so uh, dogged that he's in the right way, and I've been trying to win him to Christ, and, and so he came to see me here for some business at the church, and I said, let me show you around, and I brought him right down here to this altar, and I cornered him in the corner, and I said, son, I finally got you in the altar. He wanted to run, terror shot through his eyes. I said, but one day you're going to come because God's got a hold of your heart. And I let him go for now, but I'm still after him. Amen. You see, the way you get more comfortable is by visiting it often. I think I, the best way to describe that's my, my son-in-law. I have a good son-in-law. I love my son-in-law. He, he's a good man. I'm thankful for my son-in-law. I'm saying this over and over just in case he's in the room and I don't know it. Amen. But I love my son-in-law. But when my son-in-law first came to my house, he would say this, hey, is it okay if I, I, I get something to drink? And I'd say, man, go get you something, whatever you want. And for the first several weeks, it was, it was you mind if I, I get something? And finally I said, enough. Don't ask me again. Mistake number one. Get up and get your own self something. You've been here enough. So he started getting his own self something to drink. And, and hey, you mind if I have some of these cookies while we're at it? And, and then I now find the empty package of cookies. Come on. And the last of the soda is gone. But to make it worse, and there's a, there's a reason for what I'm telling you. To make it worse, he is a coffee drinker. And I don't know why. But there in my house is one blue coffee mug that is holy unto me. It is set aside and consecrated for me. That's his favorite cup. I go for my cup and it does not run it over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it is not there. And I am frustrated because it's not there. But then on the other side, I am thankful because I told him when he said, can I marry your daughter? I said, not if you're going to be a son-in-law, but if you'll become a son. You see, it's the familiarity and the regularity that has brought him to that place to where he comes in comfort to receive and to take from the abundance that overflows in those cabinets that whatever he needs can be met. Can I tell you that's the way that God wants us to treat his presence, that we don't stand out, but we come regularly and we receive what we need and we bring it into our lives. The only way you're going to do that is by having an altar. Making an altar before the Lord. Exodus 31, that's what that says. Make an altar. We've been studying over the last few weeks that the altar is where God makes alterations in our lives. The altar is where God's going to deal with us. The altar is where God's going to change us. The altar is going to be that thing that says the God who started you on this process is going to be able to bring you through this process. The God that can carry you through. The God who is able you see, an altar is a symbol from the past that gives meaning to the present and faith for the future. 
We, we've come to Joshua chapter 4 once again this week, and as we approach this, I want to just show you a couple of things I didn't show you last week, but let me, let me just remind you of what we read last week here in Joshua 4, verse number 1, says, when all, when how many of the people? All the people had crossed the Jordan. Let me remind you again, it is God's will that everyone within the sound of my voice be able to make it over to what God intends for your life. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, I want you to, this is what I want you to notice though. The Lord said to Joshua. The Lord said to who? Joshua. Okay. The Lord said to one of the only two remaining members of a former generation. Okay. The generation that now had been turned over to a new generation. And the Lord said to a former generation, he said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe and tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Then the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. And it was there at Gilgal, watch this, that who? Joshua, former generation, piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. It was there at that place that God had spoken to Joshua, one of the only two remaining from the former generation. He had spoken to Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, only two left. And he said, all right, now you tell them to do this. And now you go build me an altar. Let me just tell you why I'm stressing that. Because Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Let me just tell you, I've been, I think we've been stuck here and I'm going to try to get into this message, but I feel the vein is still active for the presence of God in our lives today, that God speaks most often to a earlier generation to make the altar so that a new generation can taste of what God has done. And when they realize what God has done, they can realize what God can do and they'll have faith for where God wants to take them also. You see, we can talk about what's been lost in this generation or we can build an altar because I'm hungry to see a move of God. I want my children to know what the presence of God feels like. I want them to know what it feels like to be baptized in the of the Holy Spirit. I want them to know what it feels like to see miracles and signs and wonders happen in the house of God. And God doesn't tell that to this generation, but he speaks to our generation. And he says, build yourself an altar. Settle your relationship with God. Settle yourself in the things of faith. Settle yourself in the presence of God. Plant your feet, plant yourself, and become solid and build an altar so that a connection with heaven might be made. Amen. Amen. Building an altar so that God might move among us. Now, I could preach here in this passage for quite a while, but since we've been trying to get through this, I want to, I want to skip down just a little while and I want to remind you that altars remind us that the God who did it before can do it again. But here's, here's what I really want you to see. The God who did this can do that. The God who got us here will, I didn't say can, but will get us there. I, I say do it again, God. Move among us again, God. Pour out your spirit on this generation again. Pastor Don, are you greedy for a move of God? I am more than greedy. I am starving for a move of God. I am hungry for a move of God. I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit pour out upon this generation. I want to see them uh, engulfed in the power of the presence of God. And how is that going to be done? Here's the key. 
If we will do the little things like they are the big things, God will do the big things like they are the little things. Matter of fact, why don't you help me with that? Let's say that together. If we do the little things like they are the big things, God will do the big things like they are the little things. If we will consecrate ourselves day by day, if we will passionately pursue Him in worship, if we will hunger for Him in our souls, God's going to show up in this generation. Let me declare, it is not a question of if, it is a question of when, how, and where God will show up. If we will honor God and build an altar and create a place where heaven meets us, where did he tell them to get the stones from? From the place that the priests were standing. If we will create the right atmosphere, revival can come to our nation, to our country, to our world, to our families, and we can see a move of God. I see our confidence becomes in God. The question is, what is God going to do next? Well, He's the God who works before us. He's the God who works all things together for our good. He's the God who orders our footsteps. He's the God who prepares good works in advance. He's the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What is God going to do next? I don't know exactly what God's going to do next, but I know that He's been faithful through the years, and what He's going to do is going to work out for our good, and He's going to reveal His glory to this generation. So we must live with a holy confidence. But in order to make a place for heaven to meet earth, we're going to have to build an altar every day. I'm waiting for a few more of you. Let me say that again. We have to build an altar every day. And then you have to put yourself on that altar. You see, if you want God to do something new, you can't keep doing the same old things. You can't keep living the way you lived. You can't keep visiting the sin that you've been visiting. You can't keep being apathetic in the places that you know you should be fired up for the presence of God. Your worship must erupt. Your praise must come out of you. Your, your faith must be stirred. If you want a move of God, you must go to the altar and let God change who you are. You're going to have to build an altar every day. And I know what some of you are saying, Pastor, I want to build an altar, but I, I don't even know how. Well, let me just tell you an illustration that I thought was pretty interesting. It's gone viral. Many of you have seen this on social media sites. But in 2014, Naval uh, Admiral William McRaven gave a commencement address at his alma mater of the University of Texas. His advice to those graduating Longhorns was this. If you want to change the world, start out by making your bed. I got a few parents who agreed with me right there. Let me say that again. Come on, parents. You, if you want to change the world, you got to start by making your bed. See, this is a 36-year career Navy SEAL. And he says that over many, many times he has addressed graduates that he always tells them this. He says even when he addresses the graduating Navy SEAL, these are men who have kept run 10 miles with 50-pound packs on their back. They do midnight swims in the freezing Pacific Ocean. They have tactical skills and they have survival skills. And, and he wants to talk to them about the most important thing they do is to make their bed. Nobody's shouting with me yet is to make their bed. Why? Because here's what he says. 
That every morning in basic SEAL training when he was going through, his instructors were hardened Vietnam veterans who would show up in the barracks. And the first thing they would do, he said, was inspect my bed. If I did it right, the corners would be square. The cover, how many know what they're talking about? Amen. The covers pulled up tight and the pillows centered just under the headboard and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. I'm quoting him. It was a simple task. It was mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. Every morning, it seemed ridiculous to me at the time, particularly in fact that I was training to be a great and hardened warrior. I was about to be the toughest of the tough. I was about to be a seal. He said, but that simple act has been proven to me over and over again. If you make your bed, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. Then he said this, if you can't do little things right, you will never do big things right. So start out by making your bed. Can I... Pastor, what does this have to do about my relationship with Jesus Christ? You need, before you make that bed, you ought to slide off the side of that bed and make yourself an altar. Make a place to where the first thing you do on the, uh, in every day is call upon the name of the Lord and commit that day to him and commit your past to him. People will say to me, Pastor, you need to come join me at the gym. My response is, you need to join me at the altar. Come on now. Amen. Amen. They go, Pastor, it'd probably be good for us to do a little bit of both. I said, no, no, no. That stuff you're talking about, trust me, it's all going to fall in time. Come on, amen. But in time, what you build at an altar will stand. What you build at an altar will not only pull you through, but it'll help pull your family through. It'll help move God for this generation, and God will show up because we need to start out our day right by making an altar before the Lord. Come on now. Give God a praise like he deserves. Amen. Amen. You need to make an altar every day. You need to be hungry for God. I have to ask you, how hungry are you for God? How badly do you want more? How much of God do you really desire? Joshua 3 and 5 says, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow. I will do amazing things among you. To consecrate means that we're going all in and all out and doing it day in and day out. We keep going forward. We keep pressing on for the glory of God. If you'll show up, you'll honor God. God will show up in your life. God will show up for you. You see, going to the altar is going to make a difference. Going to the altar is going to do something in your life. You see, most of us are looking for the secret but the secret is simple. Have a relationship with God. And be faithful in what He's charged you to do. He didn't tell you to come perfect. He told you to come before Him. And there He would work in your life. You know, sometimes we have everything we need right within our grasp. Let me just ask you a question, and I expect my family to say amen very loudly with this, but how many of you are thankful for Truett Kathy? Let me rephrase. How many of you are thankful for Chick-fil-A? All right. My family are so well known at Chick-fil-A. 
And I'm not the biggest fan in the world. Some of you think I just blaspheme, but that's all right. But I will show up, and they have literally said to me, what are you doing here? Christina was just here 20 minutes ago. Jordan came after her. I thought I was picking up something for everybody. But listen to me. The reason I tell you this is sometimes what you need is just beyond what you've been asked to do. The great love of Truett Cathy was two distinct things other than making quality products for his customers was he loved cars. He had a car collection. He even acquired the original Batmobile. That's got to be cool. You know, Shazam. You know what I'm talking about? But guess what? His other love of cars was to give a car to young men that he was discipling. How many of you would have liked to have been his friend? Amen? Yeah. To give them a car. Listen to me carefully. This is an important story. It was to give them a car. And there was young, one young man that he was discipling, and that young man was having horrible car troubles, and, and Mr. Kathy decided, I'm going to give him a brand new car. Went out and bought him a brand new car. But he felt distinctly that the young man was having a problem following through in his life, so he, he came up with a, a, a plan to, to get that car into the hands of that young man. And it wasn't a very difficult plan. It was a very simple plan. And, and, and he said, he said, here's what I'm going to do. And so he, 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 he put the keys in the desk drawer there in his office, and he took four cassettes of Dr. Charles Stanley. Four cassettes of Dr. Stanley. And he took them to this young man and he said to this young man, he said, now I want you to listen to these from beginning to end. I want you to listen to them from beginning to end and, and then we're going to see what God's going to do for you. What he didn't tell the young man was that on the fourth cassette, he had copied over Dr. Stanley's teaching and had recorded, your new car keys are in my desk drawer. Come and get them. They're waiting for you. Could you imagine that moment when that young man reached that place in those cassettes? Well, that's all you'd have to do is imagine because the first day he didn't listen. The second day he didn't listen. Mr. Kathy asked him, he said, have you listened to those tapes yet? He said, no, sir, I've been busy. He said, well, son, you really need to listen to those. God's answer for you is in those cassettes. He said, have you listened yet? After a week, and the young man said, you know, Boss, we've been kind of busy around here and I just hadn't had time and I've got all these other things and my, my family and, my, and this. And he said, well, son, the answer to your needs is in those cassettes. Finally, after about a month, he said to him, son, bring me the cassettes because you're never going to listen to them. And feeling rebuked by his superior, but it was his boss, the young man brought him the cassettes and said, I'm sorry, but I didn't. Listen, said, I'm sorry that I had so much going on. And Mr. Kathy said, I'm sorry as well. He said, but sit down, son. You're going to listen to the last cassette. He popped it in. And there was Mr. Kathy's words. The keys to your new car are in my desk. He said, son, you can't have that car. He said, it was the hardest lesson that young man had ever learned. He said, because you weren't willing to do what you needed to do to get the answer that was already provided for you. See the simple truth there? You don't have to run around to different places to find an answer from God. 
You don't have to look for somebody to have even a now word to find an answer from God. God wants to meet you right where you are. He wants you to encounter His presence. He wants you to make an altar in your family to where you come on a regular basis. And there are times that in my altar, it seems like the heavens have turned to brass and God has forgotten my name, but I still go. It has been at that altar that messages have come and souls have been saved. It's been at that altar where God has spoken and ministries have been born and ministries have been rescued. It's been at those altars where God has changed my life. He's altered my life. You see, success... It's not just inspiration. It's that willing of perspiration. you got to keep going. Destiny just doesn't happen by chance. It's by design. It's because you keep going before the Lord. Pastor Don, what do you want us to get from this message? Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to close with this. Passage of Scripture in this story. Exodus 33 and 11. Powerful passage. Imagine preceding this, 12 spies have been sent into the promised land by Moses to decide how they're going to go in and conquer the promised land that God has already given them. Ten of them come back with a negative report. One of them comes back with a, uh, a powerful report. And one of them comes back with a quiet wisdom. Now watch this. Okay? We know, if you know the story, ten said one thing, two said another, but one quietly aligned with the other. Here we go. Ten. Does anybody know the name of the ten? No. Okay. The one that said we can win. Does anybody know his name? Caleb. Any Caleb's in here? Yep. There's a few. Anybody know a Caleb? Okay. That's the majority of you. Anybody that doesn't know a Caleb want to meet a Caleb? Caleb, not Joshua, but Caleb said we can do it. Joshua quickly aligned himself, wisely aligned himself with the one who trusted in God. Joshua wasn't the one standing up saying, we can do this, we can do this. No, no, no. Caleb was. And as much as I love my friend's name, Caleb, you've got to understand the name of Caleb's meaning has now changed. But before that, that name was not a good name. We don't even know those 10 people's names, but the name Caleb before that, and even some theologians and historians believe that the reason he was called Caleb was it was the way that because he was of mixed birth. And so what they essentially were calling him was a mutt or a dog. That's what it meant. So they called him mutt. Now that's another sermon, how to change your name. Come on, amen. But they called him mutt. But that man stood up and now we name our children after him because he was bold enough to stand now you would think that he would become the one who would replace Moses the one who boldly stood up and he did become the general but he didn't replace Moses he did not take Moses's place not the one that was brave enough to stand up but the one that took Moses's place I want you to see why he was chosen Exodus 33 11 inside the tent of meeting the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend now that's powerful God would commune at that altar with Moses God wants to do that with you afterwards notice this Moses would return to the camp. He'd go back to work. But the young man who assisted him, whose name was Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. 
Listen to me. It wasn't the brave, but the consistent. It wasn't the one who stood up bold, but the one who went and got with God. The one who said, I'll be there in a minute. Can you imagine Moses? Somebody tell Joshua to come here. He's still praying. Where is that boy? He's before the Lord. Can I tell you? I don't stand here because I'm good at anything. I stand here because as a boy, I started at 12 years old every day seeking the face of God. As a young man, as a young leader, as a young pastor, the, the, the one thing, as many failures and faults and struggles and weaknesses that I've had, is that I roll out of that bed and I roll somewhere in front of my father. And I call upon his name. Listen to me. Stop judging yourself against anybody else and start looking at what you're doing. And when you start getting before God, others will even see what God can do through you. Because none of us are any greater than any other. It's just simply the question, have we run the distance? Have we made an altar? Because it's at that altar, we will be altered. Stand with me today. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at Warhill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now. Thank you.